0: Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Player of games, runner of recorder of videos, and tabletop role playing aficionado. Welcome to the Monday edition of my bi weekly behind the scenes DM only live stream crafting Icewind Dale, in which I built right, and prepare for our next session of Rhyme of the Frostmaid. And I'm back! Huzzah! You're playing characters while Robin, Frey, Celeste, Edmund, or Thimbleweed. This is not the right stream for you, but for the rest of you, welcome. There will be spoilers. Stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all of our D&D sessions and reviews here on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Rogue Watson. Join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash RogueWatson for our campaign. We use Roll20.net for streaming. I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. I had a very awesome uh, week off hanging out with friends. At one point, I got to see and hang out with every single one of the D&D group. So my heart has been uh, filled, my cup has been Full, and I am ready to get back into talking about D and D. And we're still covering Id Ascendant. Uh, we got about as far last time as I anticipated, which was pretty much just the boule fight. The boules. I have been schooled on the pronunciation of the boules. <laughs> still. Not a super fan of the way that's pronounced. It was a good romance, Sylvan Fox. It was very good. Um and uh we I think let's see, Edmund Summoned a Polar Bear, which I've got that recorded. It did hard they did hardly any damage to the players. It was just, you know, I even had three of them, and I had that third one in the in the back wing uh in case the players started kicking my ass, which they did, which they often do. And I unleashed it, but uh not the most fun creature. They, you know, the, the deadly leap thing is really cool, but like once they do that. I mean, unless you're like moving around with them all the time, but unfortunately with attacks of opportunity, that's usually a kind of a nasty thing to do. Uh, I don't know, they just have the one attack. It, It does a monster amount of damage, but it's just with, I don't know, those, it feels weird to run a creature where you only have like one attack around. And if you get it off, it's really, really great. But if you don't, it sucks. And then if the dice are against you, just, just the players just spend most of the time just hacking away at these creatures that are ineffective, and then maybe at the end they go, oh, that did some damage, and then that's about it. Uh, of course, against a Raging Barbarian, it you know really doesn't, with over 100 hit points, she's like, whatever. <laughs> so, oh well. The real fight is meant to come here, which is the uh, it ascendant Automated Defense fight, which is something I've been planning for for a while. Hopefully that will cause the players to sweat a little bit more, because... I don't anticipate there really being any other, uh, battles in here, honestly. Um, so yeah, let's talk about our indescendant fight. Um, we've got the, what do we got? We've got the Mind Witness, uh, on the two levels. We replaced the Ballistas with our Mind Witnesses. I've got some nice little, uh, Visuals there of the mound of flesh and the eyeballs and I've updated the description to not say mounted ballista but actual uh, really just a mound of flesh just enough to give the because with the DM descriptions the players are going to latch on most of the time to whatever you give them right if you just tell them here then they might start asking okay what about this what about this but if you if you draw their attention to certain things then they'll be like oh we need to pay attention to this You know, if you describe the blue door, they're going to be like, okay, well, let's check out this blue door. Versus if you don't ever talk about the blue door, then they're just going to walk wander around and check everything out in the room. So this way you can kind of draw their attention to things. And uh, I'm going to basically draw their attention to the automated defenses, which is the mind witnesses, by just describing the mounds of flesh that are on the lower level and the middle level. And whether they pick up on that or not, whatever. Uh the of course the giant tentacles coming out of the Nautiloid are the cool big feature that they'll see the first thing when they arrive, which if you can see from there. point of view, I've blocked off this side with the dynamic lighting because it's the other levels of the ship and it's you know perma-dark outside, so this is kind of how it ends up looking in our of the Frost Maiden campaign. And I did go ahead and block off, which I think it is by default, uh the ship level because it says five feet now. There's not really a good way to do this in Roll20. You either have to give them no vision or or all the vision. Although now you can recently change it where you can see um, one way and not the other. So what I can do, with the, especially with ships, is uh, once they're on the ship, they can then see out of the ship. It probably doesn't matter too much once they're on the ship, but it is kind of a cool feature. I went ahead and blocked them off here. I'm still not sure if I'm satisfied with it because I kind of do... I mean, I'm thinking five feet... It's tricky because you want to have. You know what I might do is I might just lower the visibility just so it looks like they can still see more of a lip here. Um maybe that would be a little friendlier. Because I do think yeah, I made it like that. What if we were to just make that a
1: little smaller. Oh, you can say it does it in real time, that's pretty cool. And can I can I grab it? Let's see what this does. Make it a little bit smaller than that, actually. Okay, so now we've got... Because, I mean, five feet, you should be able to see,
0: you know, that it's a deck, and you can see a little bit of visibility, but maybe not um, the whole thing, so... Trying to split the difference here, and I do want to draw them to this thing, but let them know, hey, here's the top of the ship, you just can't quite see. You know, you'll have to get kind of close to do that. And maybe it'll even be a case where once somebody makes it close enough, you know, they sneak up to it, then I can just delete the whole thing. I did I did go ahead and remake this dynamic lighting section so that I had control over just the deck. So you can see the actual ship part remains intact. It's gonna be trickier if someone wants to fly
1: up here because I believe this entire area here is open. I'm
0: reading the second layer correctly, you can see there's the door versus the third layer has a very small balcony, which should also be open frankly, so in case people want to fly up and engage multiple sections of the ship at one time, I should probably prepare uh the map for that. Oh, so
1: let's make sure and make this more of a wall, polygon in line. That, so cut off from each level. Still, up here, if they come out to the third level, which they could do, cut that off as well. I'm not really gonna make this look very attractive because it really doesn't need to be. Yeah. I'm thinking we don't need dynamic lighting here then at all
0: because this area is open and it'd be cooler if they were like kind of you know if they were literally flying around they could just fly around
1: here so if that's the case we need to actually delete part of it not all of it fortunately dynamic lighting drew most of it so we'll have to redo some starting here fun part of roll 20 prep paint around the ship like that
0: because then if they fly up, they should have full view of the second layer, essentially. I don't see the reason to put uh, any of this in dynamic lighting. Once they're up high enough, you can just see it. Defenses ignore Celeste. Yeah, I think that's the idea. Um, Did I put these on the map layer or the token layer? On the map layer, okay means by the time they get up to here or here, I need to uh, initiate the defenses because I'm not going to try to go to the map layer and put them on the GM layer at this point. That's too late for that. Uh, But yeah, I like the idea of the defenses ignoring um, Celeste like they're trained to, but unfortunately it's... And I don't really have a reason for why the defenses are attacking the players other than I just want them to. (laughs) It's just exciting that way. Uh, It's narratively satisfying. It's... um, gonna lead to a fun battle. Uh it doesn't make any sense story-wise for if the Ceremo- if the, if the gnome Ceramorphs are competent and aware that the Psy Crystal is coming towards them, then there's no reason why they would have the uh the defenses activated to obliterate any enemies. Now you could argue either A, they're not fully uh competent or uh planning on or, or, or they don't know about the Psycrystal approaching, so maybe that's the case. Or B, maybe they are doing this on purpose and they purposely want to strip Celeste of her allies uh, in order to, uh, you know, better use her for compliance or, uh, you know, even reintegrate her back into the system, whatever their plan Which I need to figure out what their fucking plans were here. I guess they were just... Because um, you could always make the argument, well, aliens are inscrutable. Well, okay, but they're going to be able to chat with them here, so they need to have some kind of reasons for their thing um obviously they want to uh they're just scientists they're biologists they're experimenting on people but not necessarily for funsies maybe they're trying to unlock any psionic potential maybe they're kind of gene splicing when they're looking for potential um races or creatures that would make good candidates for seromorphosis. uh so maybe the first step is doing these kind of psionic enhancements to see how it would hold up and therefore they don't get any kind of Rejects like the gnome ceramorph squidlings, which are, are not children, they don't, because the ceramorphs don't, uh, as far as I'm aware, reproduce uh, that way. Instead, um, they uh, they create uh, new ones by uh, it's the whole Baldur's Gate 3 intro, right? They like the little the slug gets into your ear and devours the brain and turns you into a, a mind player so maybe that's the reason maybe they're just trying to look and so maybe uh celeste as as being a which that could be a dark twist is they're like oh yeah you would you know probably make a good uh a good candidate for um uh you know seromorphosis, would you like to take that journey or something <laughs> like uh maybe not
1: but uh science they get they got her killed he, uh maybe <laughs>
0: But maybe that's maybe that's their plan is to get rid of her allies, or maybe it's maybe they have no plan and the ship is just acting on its own. And again, because of the way combat works, and it just breaks up in a few seconds, you know, you you could have three, four combat rounds go by before one of the gnome seraphs realizes like, oh shit, it's you know, honey, the package is here, and uh, we need to turn off the barking dog, uh, the the doorbell alarm that we have set up, and and let the package through, that kind of a deal, and and really, and I really want to play up the comedy angle, I, I, want, I want this to be a fun twist, where it's initially like this scary ass, you know, alien ship they're going to get a chance to explore a little bit, and maybe roll some arcana checks, and, and figure out that this is a freaking Nautiloid, uh, Nautiloid that, uh that's designed for mind flayers that travel through the stars, and just uh, you know, nasty, nasty uh, bunch of creatures, and then these, you know, eyeballs come out, start shooting laser beams at the players, and what I think I've settled on, which is this uh, creature here, at, in, to replace the flesh golem, uh, which is a gear keeper construct, I believe this is from, is it Exandria's, I think, or was it Gu- Guide to Wildmount. I believe, um, which is just a ball of whirling death, because I like the combination of the organic defenses from, which are the mind witness, essentially the, they're, they're not, by the way I'm, I'm using mind witness, they're not literally mind witnesses, they are, um, they're just mount like eyeballs that appear out of the ship and fire all the the eyeball beams i'm using the mind witness stat block to run those beams so that's how the ship is going to attack um but basically it doesn't have its own like intelligence it doesn't have its own uh movement it's just part of this mounted creature now you can go up and start wailing on it and attacking the fleshy eyeballs and i'll use the same ac and hit points as a mind witness so they could certainly destroy it that way uh if they wanted to but meanwhile, I wanted to combine the organic stuff with the gnomish invention stuff, because I like the the twist that uh the, the gnome serumorphs retain a lot of their gnomish personalities, and that's actually uh, as written in the shit in the uh in the guide is that these gnome seromorphs uh speak out loud. Um they uh they don't use uh telepathy, they use either gnomish or undercommon uh, underquam- with an accent best described as gooey and they will have their fun little uh, personality traits. So I I really am looking forward to running this as a, a number one terrifying combat encounter with this whirling blade thing of death uh, that's, what is that, CR-10? I mean, this is basically like a huge boss fight coming after the players. I would assume they're going to be like, okay, we need to prepare. We're about to go in like this dungeon, and it's going to be a slow burn, and that's not at all what I'm doing here. Instead, the the spaceship is almost not even a dungeon crawl at all. Instead, it is all one big combat encounter and hopefully my players do get a little fun with it and I, I do plan on sharing um the handout which is this one that we made I think uh 2 weeks ago literally based on the cross section of the ship that's here on this map I just cropped it and made it a a handout that they can look at. Probably around the time that they first get close enough to where I'm giving the description, I'm gonna give them this part of it because then what I would love to do is the party's like, all right, well like two, you know, one of us can climb up uh any surface and the other one can just fly up with us bugs and Edmund can drink that potion and really start splitting the party up so they can go on these different levels. And then as soon as they start doing that, I start unleashing all these laser beams and stuff. Now one method the players might do is just try to run inside the ship, which would be a fucking smart plan for them to do. Uh, which means I don't want to wait too long to enable my defenses because uh, once they do that it kind of makes it a little bit tricky. Um, in that case, I this thing, let's see, what is it? its locomotion? It moves 60 feet. Okay. And I would probably have it where it can um, effectively have a climb speed because it, it like rolls around in the battlefield with its sword arms. So I'm thinking it would be able to climb up any surface. So in that case, in case they, basically, the the first door down here is, uh, I don't think it's locked, but it's supposed to be closed shut to where it actually takes a a check to get through. Double door is iced shut, but not locked. Character use an action to try to wrench open the doors, doing so with a successful DC14 athletics check. I will probably raise that a little bit because I'm raising everything. Um, So... They'll, that'll be a little bit of a conundrum for the players because it'll take a little bit of a check to actually open these doors while they're getting blasted and attacked by things. But if they make it up to the second or third layers, that's a little trickier because the second layer is completely open and even has stairs that go up or down. So there's not a whole lot of uh, defenses here. Now you could rule that this door right here is closed. Let's see if that has that in there. And for the battle deck... Lesh door leads to Arian 5, which by the way, they're like sphincters. It's really gross. Um, the way they open and close. Yeah, in this case the ballistas are Marvel of Gnomish over-engineering. So I am um, uh, separating that a little bit. I'm making the ballistas instead the organic part, and then it's the Flesh Golem, which was the fleshy part of the... I realized I just swapped them. In, in the original adventure, the Ballistas were the organic Gnomish thing, and the Flesh Golem was the nasty flesh creature. In this case, I swapped it and made the Ballistas the nasty flesh creatures, and then instead the of a Flesh Golem, I made hopefully a much more interesting and much more powerful uh, construct that's got all kinds of fun abilities and will run around the battlefield and basically just soak up damage, really. I mean, it's got a really neat ability where it constantly does damage uh, to everybody nearby. It's got a shotgun blast of... Shrapnel, it can do uh, melee and range attacks, it's got damage resistance, but honestly, it's just got AC of 18 and 160 hit points, it's just gonna stay around for a while. The players don't necessarily have to win this battle either. I'm gonna try and keep them in it as long as I can to make it fun. Um, but at some point, either you know, one side or the other is getting their ass kicked, and I finally will step in with uh one of the mind flares at least to shut shit down, or the players will have made it far enough inside this dungeon where it becomes uh, like I kind of have to shut shit down, which which could be interesting. If it, it could be just a a mobility thing, where if somebody makes it, in, like, hey, you need to call off your things or something, and and maybe the mind flare, you know, if they keep, if somebody does make it inside and it's not Celeste, maybe the mind flares first response, and you notice I put a carrying crawl with each one would be to oh, attack and I going to attack or something, um, and then of course the players would be able to try to respond, but maybe Celeste would be the only one that would actually do something like that. Is the third one, yeah? This outer area is also open, so we need to uh delete that and redo that one as well. It's a little bit more sense in case they because they, they have so many good mobility options. I want to give them the option to um assault this ship in different directions. I just got to be prepared for them to do that. Yeah, I think that's better. Okay, so just to test it. I want to take Frey and put her here. Then she can see the outer balcony of
1: this one. It looks kind of weird on the roll twenty map, but oh well. Then if you were to go here, you can
0: see this whole thing, which I need to put him on the GM layer. I realize because that whole thing is open back there. This guy will just be deployed whenever. I mean, hopefully, the, I can move the players a little bit up. But you know, maybe if you know somebody like Edmund decides to drink a potion and fly up, or thimbleweed, and and if anybody starts flying up and actually like poking the mound or getting too close, then I will immediately initiate combat and fuck whoever the positioning is for everybody else. Like we're just going with that. I would imagine most players, um, at least my players as well, aren't going to try to solve a difficult fight by moving deeper into the dungeon. So. I, I can probably safely assume that they're just gonna fight this uh to the death which is fine that's like i said they don't have it's not necessarily has to last that long maybe it will maybe if the fight's just going really well and you know i'm down to like nothing left and then finally i have one of the mind flayers come in and be like oh i so sorry it's oh, it's you, you made it, let me turn off these things, and he'll, like, you know, touch his head for a second and then immediately shut everything down. Um, but I do like the threat, especially if I can keep at least the two Mind Witness laser blasts alive, or or maybe even the robot thing, the fact that the Mind Flayers have those things at their beck and call so that during the next big social negotiation scene where they, you know, invite um, Celeste and, and uh, to give them the Psy Crystal and do all that and uh, they've got that in their back pocket that they could try and uh, pretty much threaten the players with. Turn those defenses back on. Really excited to use all these laser eyes. Uses its eye ray three times. It's also a case, I remember when I did the Beholder fight in Tomb, where, uh, and this is gonna be a good case for, t- uh, uh, for Token Fate, which is the uh, tool I use to randomly, target different player characters not only could i use that here for every single eye blast but i could also have the players themselves roll d6s to determine what ray they'd be hit by i think that was really fun and gave the players even more interaction in the fight and then made it so you know once they started learning what all the rays did they're like oh no not that one like that that'd be a blast i'll have to remember to incorporate that uh use the Token Fate A to kind of randomly do whatever damage, because I don't think, again, these are just automated defenses. They don't really have any intelligence in terms of trying to, you know, target the low, uh, you know, wisdom, trying to, you know, like target the uh, Barbarian with Psychic Ray or Fear Ray or something like that versus the Stunning or Telekinetic Ray. They wouldn't necessarily have the intelligence to do that, which is why it swings that in the player's favor a bit. But that's also why I've got two of them plus a giant rotating sword, Ball of Death. Uh, They're definitely going to be Zoidberg-like for sure, and that's kind of what I'm going for. I I, I probably can't do a very good Zoidberg, but there'll be more. (laughs) God, Futurama's such a good show. That was my uh, college years. Uh, I think. Maybe it was high school and college. I guess at one point they came back, but that was later. A lot later. I remember remember in uh, college, I was watching Adult Swim reruns of... What, all those shows, Family Guy and Drama, Robot Chicken, good times. <laughs> and the Carrion Crawlers, which are initially in this adventure uh, at the beginning, which I replaced those with the boulets, I'm going to use those as kind of the the, pence, the pets slash henchmen, the penchmen if you will, uh, of the Mind Flayers, just as an additional like minion for them in case it goes down in another fight, which it very well could.
1: See, going back to which?
0: Did I close the indecendent window? Damn it all! Where we go.
1: Nope, there it is. Just hard to see it.
0: To react to Celeste being untouched. That's true. Um, I will have to remember to not assign her to the random token fate. That is that is my goal. I need to make a note for myself. Do not attack Celeste. What the tricky thing is, I don't think I can stop the bladed thing from attacking because it's just any creature that starts to turn within five feet takes one d eight slashing damage. So it would try to not target her, or maybe maybe this one doesn't. Maybe it's just the automated defenses that would know not to target the Psy crystal, but maybe the gatekeeper construct, or the gearkeeper.
1: I don't know. But it would certainly, yeah, I would certainly try to not attack her, probably. Opportunity
0: attacks against it have disadvantage. That's
1: kind of nice, it can
0: really roll around. Always get in the middle of people. Obviously Edmund restraining this thing is gonna suck. (laughs) As you know, he's gonna try to do that. Um, However, it's got its spear launchers of 90 feet range. You know, it's got range attacks it can still use. Um, It can still try and break out of the damn thing. It's got a plus five to strength. And, of course, all of the laser eye blast things can't be restrained, they're just like part of the ship, so they'll be blasting. Uh, everybody, that's true uh, CT, the uh, token fate would kind of obfuscate that because I would be telling the players hey it's going to randomly target somebody and then I just never select Celeste so they're just like oh you're not taking any damage <laughs> maybe it'd be a case where somebody, if somebody asked something I would maybe even call for a check or something or, or maybe just let them wonder and see like hey are you noticing that these things specifically aren't targeting her Maybe if they bring it up, I wouldn't bring it up, but if they bring it up, I could maybe have them uh, roll, you know, like a, a perception check or something, just to notice, like, hey, it's it's like the eyeballs are never swinging your way. In terms of what she's feeling, she would probably be definitely feeling a uh, desire to go in, um, and, and that would further reinforce the fact that the automated defenses, if she was alone approaching it, uh then they wouldn't be active. But because there's all these other people with her, they they assume that though that is a threat against the
1: ship, uh, and that's why they are actively trying to kill them. Celeste wouldn't be able to hear anything
0: necessarily through, well, you know what, she she might, maybe she's the one that hears um, a, a telepathic message going out to her that's the equivalent of like, you know, intruder alert, intruder alert, defenses activated and then um you know maybe deploy countermeasures you know some kind of almost robotic defensive sounding voice so she'd be able to hear that now she wouldn't be able to necessarily respond to anything um but maybe if she gets close enough and starts probing out with her mind then she could be able to communicate with the mind players like i could could be open to that as a possibility um basically I'm I'm oh, I want this to be a tough fight, but I am open for the players to try and do things a little out of the box in order to try to uh end it maybe earlier than uh would be for a full-on slog. Um or they could just be like, Fuck yeah, this place is horrendously awful and we need to just kill all these things, which is also fine at least until uh, the gnome serumorphs pop out of whatever the hell they're doing back there. Um, in the cargo hold, which is kind of silly, I think, that there's a bunch of just crates and things, uh, manacles, I don't know, it feels so goofy to me that there has this fantastical organic ship that flies through space, and yet they literally, like, just, for creatures, there was, like, manacles and chains, like, so at the very least I changed the description to, like, uh, tendrils and tentacles coming out of the walls that would, like, grab people and, and hold them Um, like, uh, I'm almost picturing like, uh, aliens or something where they're all like wrapped in cocoons, like plastered against the walls, or maybe even get a little creepier with that. Maybe I'm having like the, the tendrils form like cages or thing, like organic cages around, like something more interesting than just fucking metal, uh, manacles. And it just seems so lame. But at the very least, I'm going to change that. I thought I would even switch the map around. I was like, "Eh, I don't really want to do that. (laughs) It's a lot. Um I can keep at least the crates and barrels and things cuz that's the world they're dealing with so I guess they would be pulling these things up for supplies. I do love that there are two barrels of a pink slurry made from humanoid brains. I'm definitely keeping that. Uh there's all oh, ship keeps yelling at her to defend it. That's interesting. That's interesting. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think that would be the case. Um I don't, I don't know if she would hear anything over the defenses blaring, but I would like the, yeah, I I don't want to give her too much of a hint. I really want her to be kind of in the dark and to answer your question, uh, CT, about the uh, giving her a a prep. I I honestly don't. I I, kind of like the idea of like, nobody is quite sure of what's going on here. She's not even sure if, you know, she's like, wait, I thought I wasn't invited or I have like a polling here, but Maybe if, if she picks on it or the players pick up on it, I can clarify that, like, yeah, you're not being targeted at all, but the others are. And maybe their decision is, like, okay, we're going to retreat, but you go forward. That would be an interesting development. Like, they could pull back and maybe I, you know, fire... In fact, what is the range on the Mind Witness I raise? Uh, 120 feet. That would be a bit of a bummer to retreat to in combat. <laughs> I think at uh, what, at average you're moving 60 feet if you're dashing, so... I guess you're at least taking a full turn of getting blasted but that would be a possibility they could literally all of them retreat uh, the little death ball probably wouldn't even follow them that far and uh, if just celeste approached then that would be one method she could then uh, try and win over the, the creatures at that point and then that gets a little weird because then it leaves her alone to deal with the entire social situation by herself and the other players unfortunately feel like they're kind of screwed so hopefully the first conversation will be like hey uh, can you turn off the defenses from my buddies to at least come here and approach, and that would take a little bit of convincing, but that would be another method that the players could do. I, I'm hoping you know, we at least get through some rounds of combat and have some fun there, and it's very likely that my players won't think of any of this, um, at least until very late in the combat round when they're dealing with all these creatures and, and things that are happening. Um, I will probably deploy the blade thing um, maybe on round, maybe not on round two, but maybe, or yeah, not on round one, but maybe on round two. So like round one would be the fleshy bits, you know, animating and attacking with all their laser eye rays and let the players deal with that however they want to. Maybe they're approaching, maybe they're running for cover, whatever they're doing. Trying to fly up and get different positioning. And then round two, I drop this freaking ball down. Uh, wherever I want, it's got a 60 foot range, so I'm not terribly concerned about um, where it actually gets deployed. I'm picturing it as as coming out of, like, I don't know, maybe the ah, this ship doesn't look very thick from here, but maybe like this compartment opens in the ceiling of maybe the third layer, so it drops down to the second layer, and then it can roll out from there. I don't know, something, uh, it doesn't make any sense to come out of the cargo hold, I don't think, or maybe it does, maybe the, well now, because then that would open the doors for me, for them. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna keep it as kind of detaching from the ship itself, maybe it's got um like a fleshy it wouldn't be a fleshy sack. Uh how can I deploy this thing? Or maybe it would, maybe just a ball. It just looks like a flesh ball hanging and then when it drops, it actually um the fleshy sack was just holding the uh the, the large death bladed ball thing in place. There's <laughs> a wonderful image for you. Now, if they make it into the cargo hold, there is, of course, the laser rifles in there. Oh, that's the only real piece of loot. The laser rifles. See, three of them have been partially dismantled or non-functional. The other three are intact. Each contains an energy cell that allows the rifle to be fired 30 times. Yay for keeping up with ammunition. Energy cell cannot be recharged. Figure out how to fire and reload a laser rifle requires two successful intelligent checks. One to figure out how to fire it. Now figure out how to load it. Each time a character makes a check, compare the truck nuts. <laughs> that is kinda of how I was picturing. You know, like the little dangling dice is just sitting there. <laughs> this one would really look like a ball sack too, the way I'm picturing it. Just the one dangling from the, <laughs> from the ship. Each time a character makes a check, compare the check result. So, is this supposed to be a one time when you first get this item, you make two checks? Or is it supposed to be like literally every time you fire the fucking thing, you're supposed to make intelligence checks. The ferret, once you do it the one time, I don't think you have to do that again. I also don't think this is that impressive of loot, or maybe it is, for uh level nine players. But not everything has to be, you know, a fancy magic item. And I've said this before, but the last two areas the players went to were huge with magic items. They got supercharged. That was the whole point of going to those areas were magic items. And I can't do that too often in DD5E, because is not a very magic item focused uh, world and gameplay system. Same so with proficiency with a firearm. Characters in most D and D worlds wouldn't have such a proficiency. During their downtime, which is you know, who would use this versus a magic bow or something if you don't have proficiency during Because the, their proficiency bonus right now, I think, is a plus. Uh, is it a plus four? I think at level nine, you're missing out on a, a plus four modifier. Yeah, it's a plus four, so anything you're not proficient in, you're just not getting that plus four. That's rough. Character uses the training rules, the players have to acquire proficiency, assuming they have enough ammunition to get the points working while mastering their use. Well, that's not going to fucking happen here. 3d8 radiant damage is pretty cool. Um, That's actually very cool. That's like a, what is that, a chromatic orb, 3d8. It's like a first level spell slot. So that's pretty powerful. So maybe that's the difference. You have to make an attack roll. You don't get proficiency. So you're just rolling your, what, dex modifier? Range 100, which is very impressive. Reload and two-handed. Got the firearm. The ammunition property. I'm not opposed to giving them the laser rifles as is. Um, Keeping up with... A 30-use item seems like a gigantic pain in the ass. That uh, is one of the reasons why I don't like doing... Tracking ammunition in general in any games. Because it's a pain in the ass. I don't like survival games for that reason, for the most part. Um, And it's a single-use, so it's important to track it because once you're out of those kinds of special... uh. Bullet, and Not even a bullet, it's just, I imagine it's like those uh, like massive, I think Mass Effect described in what is like this block, and then you fed it into the gun, and then it like superheated like slugs from that, and then fired the laser. Figuring out alien technology. Oh, that's this one. got that earlier. understand what the object is. The characters rarely will simulate a character's ignorance, about the only have the character make a series of intelligence checks to figure it out character must succeed in a number of intelligence checks based on the complexity of the item, which it said laser rifle was two. Consult the figuring out alien technology table. Consider making the item break if the character fails four more times before taking a long rest. So that makes me... It almost sounds like you are... Well, are you making them with every firing? Or is it just when you keep... I guess if you keep failing... So the idea is if you keep failing, you lose... Um, uses of the items you're like discharging bullets accidentally although I don't know what this one does then if you're done making the checks make a 15 or higher just for a
1: success and it's just an intelligence check yeah check. okay gonna be
0: interesting and three of them is pretty good I mean that's 90 freaking rounds of doing 3d8 but I like the idea that they don't necessarily have proficiency. Now, you could almost argue that maybe Celeste has proficiency because she's got she's been fiddled with by the aliens. Um or or maybe you would just give her advantage on these checks or something. They still wouldn't necessarily be know how to wield these items maybe without going through seromorphosis or being properly trained in their uses. I think the Gnome Ceremonies also wield uh, laser pistols. My party read those rules a bunch of times and abandoned the items. Yeah, I feel like this is just too fiddly for what they're worth. Intelligence checks. I mean, if you only have to make two checks, we have to make two successes to become like a little bit of a skill challenge. So I guess you make one roll. Let's use, let's see, like Edmund would be interested in this item. He's got a high intelligence also. Edmund's got a plus four to his intelligence roll. So let's say Edmund makes uh, one roll. 19 is a very much success. So he's figured out how to fire the weapon. Another roll, he makes a nine. So that means he's got a failure, and one charge or use is wasted.
1: And he has disadvantage on the next check. So uh, he would probably use his Flash of Genius to not have
0: that befall him but even then it would be still a failure if the no, they forget it you know that's i've talked about that before but you throw a bunch of stuff at them at the players and some stuff sticks and some stuff doesn't and sometimes i'm bummed about it but other times i'm like well we'll just move on to the next one and maybe hope they'll uh enjoy the next item or uh allied NPC or something hard to tell sometimes whether uh something will become like like uh edmund in the bag of tricks like he's just instantly and any player could have gotten that and he's using that shit all the time so that's just an example of one that is used quite a lot and is enjoyed by the player let's assume he has to make two more checks at disadvantage it makes it 22 so he has succeeded in essentially three skill checks and only had one uh super failure means what you still have 29 uses of the item that's a lot the problem is yeah you only have your what is it your decks to fire the damn thing if it's a laser rifle
1: I assume it's decks to fire it it's a ranged weapon which is still uh that's still the rule almost argue it's intelligence versus dex, which would certainly make him happy. Mm,
0: I have mixed feelings, I guess, about uh, the laser rifles and uh, the rules behind them. I'd certainly be willing to solicit feedback on that. What I'm not wanting to do is is to redesign them into powerful magic items that the players would really love. That's not really the goal here. I I kind of like the idea of giving them kind of mundane weapons for the ship, but would be kind of fantastical weapons to the players. Um, But I'm not looking to give them a bunch of really fancy loot. The loot that they're looking to get here is the goddamn ship. So I'm not really into necessarily breaking my back over giving them really fancy equipment here. So, in other words, if I just give them the laser rifles as is... And they kind of shrug and be like, oh well, that's kind of neat, and just kind of throw it in the pile. I'm not gonna feel that bad about it. Cause yeah, they probably have cooler stuff. Yes. Magic stasis pods, which are in here. I don't even know if I'm gonna use the gnome squidlings. Um if I do, I would probably treat them more like face huggers. Maybe make them a little creepier. Cause as written, they don't really do anything. I guess they they can
1: still extract brain. (laughs) Okay, so they can... They have a plus zero. That's bad. Doesn't have any spells.
0: It's got a very weak mind tickle. But it still stuns. Be stunned until the next turn. Does stun equal incapacitation? I don't... It does. Okay, if you're stunned, you are incapacitated. Which means you can have... This actually be a really deadly... You can have one of them stun... And the other one do extract brain. <laughs> Jesus. One incapacitate. creature. No, oh, no, I'd be grappled by the squidling. So they actually have to use the tentacles first. Like, I totally do like the fucking facehuggers up against the glass thing. and uh, Aliens, except in this case, they're I think they're in pools. Make think these guys, like... Because they're not, again, they're not like baby Ceramorphs. They're just like mutated... Um, ones that were probably created from creatures uh, that were not didn't take to Ceremorphosis for whatever reason which is maybe partly what these um, adults are actually trying to do is find suitable hosts basically mm-hmm. Spheres, a Stasis pod designed to keep a Gnome seramorph or Gnome Squidling alive and healthy in a long voyage. The paws are non-functional unless the power core is fixed which is beyond the seramorph's capability but I think the Psy Crystal does that, I think. On the side of each sphere opens when a creature that has telepathy approaches within five feet of it, half the door swings upward and half swings down to form a ramp. Okay. So they would stay closed and then the creatures could pop out of there, which would be pretty nice. But I like that idea. Do I need to redesign them or keep this stat block? They have a plus zero attack.
1: I actually keep them on always whisper rolls. That looks like. So, this is a straight d20. So, given that, the odds of me hitting the
0: AC, relatively high AC players are not very good. Although I'm rolling pretty good here 13, 16, 15. So, several things would have to happen for them to get their extract brain off. A, they have to. Or, no, that's not necessarily the case. Their tentacles alone. If it succeeds, it is grappled with an escape DC of 7. And then must succeed on a DC 7 intelligence saving throw or be stunned until the grapple ends. So them attacking stuns the players. I may scale this up a bit. So this could be like a little bit of a trap. Um, If for whatever reason the players make it inside and the uh, Gnome Ceramorphs haven't yet engaged them and they haven't like solved the dungeon through talking to them, then maybe I can treat this as a kind of scary, freaky, hazard trap thing. They open these doors and then if somebody walks in and inspects the things at all, then the, they pop out and try to you know, wrap around the face and literally do the facehugger thing. But in that case, I would probably scale them up a bit. So they have to hit first with the tentacles. Then the players have to fail the save to leave them stunned. Then we have to make it to their next turn where the squidling is still suckled on the face, I know. And then, if the players haven't been able to get out of that situation, then they can do their Extract Brain ability, because um, they're still stunned. And that does a little bit of damage. I mean, 5d10 sounds like a lot, but on average, it's, it's not a huge number, and the players are pretty beefy. But if that actually reduces them to zero hit
1: points, they extract and devour the brain. Pretty nice. What a way to go. Wouldn't do it to Celeste though. Probably. I think I could split the difference between a gnome squiddling and an actual adult ceramorph. Extract brain's already half. It's ten d ten. I understand why why don't i just have the attack
0: then bonus give them like a plus 3 attack that would help instead of 2d10 plus 4 i give them 1d10 God, their stats
1: are really garbage though just to make it interesting i mean shit
0: mind tickle could be a little bit better but maybe i wouldn't even give them mind tickle maybe i would just let them do their physical stuff, which I think would be more appropriate. Like if they're literally just mi- almost nearly mindless, uh, like mutated versions. That's probably how I'm gonna do this. So let's give them,
1: Uh, wait, the adult norms are You gonna escape DC nine against being grappled? Jesus.
0: I don't know why that's so low. I guess the gnomes are really, yeah, they have minus two. I just can't hang on because there's small gnomes <laughs> that's such a low DC that's hilarious well the escape DC can be low but the intelligence save to avoid make that a 10 at least
1: we're gonna give them a plus four and we're gonna up the damage to oh, the 10 plus two it's exactly half Fact brain, we can keep the same. Keep it a plus four. Leave it at five d ten. And I'm honestly probably just gonna not use the mind tickling. That's the way I'm gonna flavor it. I still have just nothing for AC and hit point. I gotta give them more hit points. Not much though. They should be. I mean, face suckers. They didn't have much either. <laughs> Uh 36 is only a max of 18. Just change their hit points on the token. Make them smaller and creepier. Game plate. Nobody cares what you're fucking You guys aren't going to be real characters. Uh let's give them 25 hit points each. Interesting. Make you a little bit smaller. Put them in like three of the tanks. I don't know. So
0: I don't know when the situation would come up that maybe maybe they just kick my ass and I feel like I don't ever want to stop the fight, and then I let them just enter the ship without even alerting the ceramorphs. That could be a possibility as well. And then it then it does become a little bit of a dungeon crawl at least until they, um, I don't know, one of the ceramorphs, and maybe the ceramorphs start coming out too to where I could let them explore this bottom half a little bit. Maybe get tripped up by the squidlings and then come upstairs, and that's when the ceramorph emerges and they see each other and, you know, he's about to raise his laser pistol or do whatever, and then he realizes that Celeste is there with the Psy crystal. Or maybe even one of them gets in a little bit of a fight, and the other one is the one with the Psy crystal detector. They have some kind of device that allows them to detect the damn thing. Maintenance. Fax is here, appearing in a wall cavity, trying to figure out a way to keep the life support system from shutting down. Got a laser pistol and a psi crystal detector. Black metal box is the size of a bar of soap and emits an audible clicking noise when a psi crystal is within five miles of it. The closer the object gets to the psi crystal, the more rapid the clicks. He would have the information, I guess. Seven, which is the top. Using the orb on the ship's helm to communicate telepathically with the nautiloid, which has liquefied consciousness of several other mind flares flowing through its veins. Awesome. The liquefied consciousnesses of several other mind flayers throwing, flowing through its veins. <laughs> That's pretty metal. <laughs> a laser pistol and a pacifier rod, which is literally like a fucking shock stick. I believe, six inch long, black motor has a button on top. Using an extra press, the button cause the rod to emit a chirp. Any creature within 30 feet of the rod that is indefinite as intelligence of 3 or lower must succeed in a DC-13.
1: Cons never be incapacitated for a minute. 25% chance the rod breaks and becomes inoperable. That seems pretty strong. But intelligence of 3 or lower... Um, is just Feral
0: Beasts, I think. And I don't see the players honestly battling too many of those run out. Because like Yetis of intelligence. Miraz has intelligence. I'm trying to think of like bestial creatures that we still have left. Even things like crag cats, I think, are supposed to have some kind of intelligence to them. One's on the helm, talking with the ship, which means he would be running the defenses. But the other one is the one with the Psy Crystal thing. So he would be coming out, realizing the thing, and then he would have to telepathically talk. Um which, again, I could have them just talk out loud because that's something that they're supposed to be doing. Even though they're mind flayers, they're kind of hilarious gnome
1: versions of mind flayers. Extats for a rock, that's a good one. Although, remember I changed my rock quite a bit.
0: Oh shit, <laughs> good call. Rocks intelligence of three, ha. <laughs> that would be awful. You see thirteen con saves. He's got a plus five. He's got a plus nine to con saves, but still like a twenty five percent chance of failure. Yeah, I will say that I I did change the rock around to where the 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 plate. Which this will be a case. I'll have to remind them on a very big previously on, but the players actually uh, released the what that uh, ice figurine owl. That attacked the shardle dragon that brought the dragon down. And I, I tried to flavor it where oral herself came down and kind of healed the owl. And then it turned into like snowy mist and then went off into uh, the direction of her Island. And the idea is that that creature then becomes like her um, guardian. And then I would obviously just use the rock stat block or, or maybe, and I, I haven't decided on what, you know, is going to happen with it. If it's going to uh, be a standing boss fight for her, if she's going to be able to attack with it or something going on. But, I would probably use a. I would just use the regular stat block, but I I could also, as the DM, just say like it doesn't work on it, <laughs> or not give them the passport. I was actually picturing uh not this. I was picturing like a stun stick. something that did like um uh like lightning damage, and then had a chance to stun somebody. So like literally like Z-Z-Z-Z, you know when you get knocked over, uh like a uh what do you. Fuck you call that, that, like, police use with the little, in, god, like a stun gun. <laughs> is what I'm picturing. But, like, a, in a stick form, make so that make you have to hit somebody with it. That could be a fun magic item. In which case, there's probably not even a, a use on it. Although, in this case, there's a 25% chance throw up breaks and becomes an opera. roll. I would probably do something like, you still have to make an attack roll, and if you roll a 1, then maybe it shocks you. <laughs> it actually has a special, like, critical fail. Thing just to add a little bit of risk to it. Cold light rock with laser eyes sounds fucking cool uh anything with laser eyes i find is is a pretty good upgrade <laughs> need to use more cold light walkers though for sure I teased a uh, i used them a little bit I guess I only used the one. And I should probably use. I, I'm, I'm. I was waffling back and forth on how often to use. You know, random encounters these days. And that, those would be kind of the main ones they would get. Would be just seeing um, large forces of the Frost Maiden like scouring through the tundra now, trying to look for uh, any of the wizards or shardland pieces or anything that would threaten her domain. But uh, I, I would probably flavor it as something the players see, not necessarily something
1: they battle with but Cold Light Walkers are a very cool stat block. And of course, worst case scenario, these dudes can activate a self-destruct sequence. They have to
0: both do it. They can jointly activate the Nautilus self-destruct system. Only if there's a good chance the ships will only fall into the wrong hands or if they're forced to abandon ship. Which, I don't know when I'll be able to get that off. If for some reason it turns into a battle and they both end up upstairs, Um, they would, they would definitely do that as an option.
1: Once the timer has begun, it can't be stopped. Count down the seconds from 60. Timer reaches 0, the ship disintegrates an
0: explosion bright enough to see from 10 towns. Any creature inside the ship within 60 feet of it, when this occurs, takes 20d6 force damage. That's a pretty good chunk of damage. Ah, the telepathic distress beacon. Okay, so that's something that's still, like... Uh, affecting everybody even when they get close. Table pressure treasure. Any creatures? Some, talking two things together and triggering electrical discharge. Uh, there's a sticky metal monocle with a kaleidoscope lens that functions like eyes of minute seeing. Second is a slimy coif made from a living space slug that functions like a helm of telepathy. That's cool. I That's exactly what I wanted which is magic items that were reflavored as like sci-fi items. Like I kind of like both of those honestly. Although I think we've I used them both in Tomb, maybe? Pretty
1: sure I used this one in Tomb. I think Mannix had those. Glasses. Telepathy. Action to cast tech Thoughts. Action to cast
0: Suggestion from... Oh, okay. I thought the Telepathy just gave you Telepathy, but it does not. It gives you Detect Thoughts and
1: then allows you to cast Suggestion uh, once per day. Which is pretty cool. I like the idea you have to like,
0: have a living space slug that like, attaches to your brain to do it though. That's cool and flavorful and I appreciate it. So yeah, for uh, this Friday, I think we're looking at a big battle, but there's a lot of different things that could happen from this battle. Uh, either the, with, with the two, basically the two mind witness stat blocks, Uh, plus this gearkeeper construct uh, that will not be attacking Celeste, and it could go anywhere from the players kick my ass to where they're marching inside, and I let them, I just let the dungeon crawl kind of play out a little bit more, or I kick their ass, and I have to kind of um, pull back at, uh, you know, just whenever I feel like it, basically, and have the uh, mind flayers come out and say, oh, you brought the Psycrust, come on in. Or the players do something I haven't thought of, which is probably what's going to happen, and then I have to try to figure it out from there, but basically this will be a unique case of the dungeon almost being completely active and kind of going hard at the players right from the start rather than having them be drawn inside and have it be a slow burn of you know exploring all the little spaces, although that could technically still happen if I wanted to. We're keeping all the things on the table, but the goal is to have a pretty scary battle up front. And then lead into a a twist, which is that these are not scary, horrifying aliens. They're actually just friendly dudes. Their methods are certainly questionable and they have no morals whatsoever, which should make things interesting. Uh, But otherwise, the players can hand over the Crystal, power up the ship, and essentially gain, if if they're fine with it, gain the Mind Flayers as allies. Or maybe one scenario is they kill the Mind Flayers and take over the ship. That's something I would allow. It would... Be a little trickier for the players, but they could certainly try and do that. Or maybe they persuade the mind players and they come up with some kind of temporary alliance thing. I'm I'm open to all these eventualities and I'm excited to see what the hell the players are going to do with them, but either way, I, I would very much like for them to gain this ship as a new mode of transportation because that takes care of pretty much all of their travel needs right there. Alright, I think that will do it for this Monday edition of Crafting Icewind Dale. If you, just, if you enjoy the content please check out patreon.com slash Watson, shouts to Platinum patrons Joe, Will, Thomas, Adam, Stan, William, I'm Loud, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Role Player, Role, Christopher, and Dig Dug DM. And gold patrons are BG, Paper Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Delizard, Lion, Sam, LumpySpuds, Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fasica, Tortoise, and Scott. Thank you all very much for your support.